0: To the innovation forum podcast for friday 1st of september with me in welsh coming up is an interesting case study on the u.s pork sector i recently interviewed brett kyson from the u.s national pork board and we talked about the sustainability challenges for the pork industry and for protein supply chains more generally and how goals can be set and progress best measured first though is a regular roundup of some sustainable business news Fast fashion giant H&M has announced that it will be winding down its operations in Myanmar because of the increasing number of reports of labour abuses in garment factories in the Southeast Asian country. Many other apparel brands including Primark, Marks and & Spencer and Zara have already cut ties with Myanmar suppliers. H&M's move follows a briefing from the Business and Human Rights Resource Centre in mid-August that highlighted the labour risks in the country, arguing that the situation has got worse in the period since the military takeover in February 2021. The Centre's report says that gender-based violence, wage violations inhuman working conditions and attacks on freedom of association are endemic throughout the country and on the rise, calling for brands to conduct heightened due diligence on human rights and supply chains and for responsibly cutting ties if necessary. Among the key recommendations for governments are to develop mandatory human rights due diligence legislation with a specific focus on high-risk countries. Investors are advised to consider divesting from companies that do not demonstrate they are taking sufficient action to identify and mitigate human rights abuses in supply chains. The Science-Based Targets initiative has come in for a bit of a stick recently over aspects of its governance and transparency. We recently reported the changes to SBTI's transparency guidelines that will now highlight the companies that are not making proper progress towards their declared emissions targets. Now the organisation has started an internal investigation into long-standing concerns about its methodologies and potential conflicts of interest. Specifically, there are concerns that the SBTI's chosen methodologies do not reach the same technical heights as other target-setting organisations. In addition, the fact that it enforces its own standards has also been criticised. It is more common for sustainability standard-setters to use third-party compliance verifiers. With over 3,000 companies now working towards targets agreed by the initiative, there is certainly an element of it being a victim of its own success, as it has rapidly scaled influence. And how far any reforms will go remains, of course, to be seen. But SBTI does seem to be keen to do what's necessary to put its house in order. We've highlighted in recent weeks some concerns in the business community and among climate activists about the UK government's apparent watering down of environmental commitments. And now, a group of investors representing £1.5 trillion in assets under management has expressed concern over uncertainty and policy direction for the UK's net zero transition. The group of 36 financial institutions, convened under the UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association, also known as UKSIF, includes Scottish Widows, Aegean, Jupiter Asset Management and Royal London. UKSIF says that the sector is urging the UK government to provide long-term policy certainty that will ensure the UK is a world leader in sustainable finance. Specifically, they call for a clear signal that policy driving investment, such as carbon pricing mechanisms, the transition to electric vehicles and energy efficiency standards for housing will not be changed abruptly. UKSIF points out that in a stable policy environment, the finance sector will channel private capital into the new technologies and projects that will decarbonize the UK. Recent remarks from the government have, the association says, undermined investor confidence. Coming up now is a conversation I had recently with Brett Kyson, Senior Vice President, Producer and State Engagement Lead at the US National Pork Board. Why don't you tell us a bit about the National Pork Board? Uh, What does it do?
1: Yes, it's a complex place that does a lot of things, but to simply put, what does the National Pork Board do is it is funded by pig farmers for pig farmers. And so a little bit of the history of how it is funded is, Ian, I think everybody will find interest in for every $100 of value of a pig sold in the United States, 35 cents of those dollars come back into a budget line item to do really three things on behalf of the U.S. pig farmer. And that's to do research around everything pigs, live production and pork as a protein. Education, and that can be education of our farmers and how they can improve their farms all the way to consumer education. And promotion of the product, promoting the product at the domestic level here in the United States, but also 27% approximately of the pork raised in the United States is export so there's a development or a market development piece of that as well internationally so research education and promotion is really our mission funded by farmers working on behalf of farmers
0: we're going to talk a bit about sustainability in the context of the u.s pork sector how would you characterize the u.s pork industry's approach to sustainability
1: yes we don't have a formal definition ian of sustainability relative to pig farming in the united states and Working in the space of sustainability over the last six years at a local, state, national, and international level, I think we could probably agree, and your listening audience would say too, those definitions are variable, and that's okay, depending on the business that you run. But we would define it as continuous improvement at a farm level of our practices on a daily basis that allows the family farm to be passed on to the next generation. And essentially, it's about that continuous improvement curve and deploying those practices at the farm gate to sustain that business unit over time to be passed on for multitude of generations for our pig farmers to continue to do what they do, seeking that permission to operate and being effective and efficient as they can at that.
0: And how much of that now is taking into account the need to lessen impacts? The sort of impacts we all know are potentially damaging or have been damaging over the long term and I kind of switch to a more regenerative and broadly sustainable approach.
1: The thing that's fun about my job, a lot of things that are fun, but we raise pigs on our farm at home as well. And so when I started working in the sustainability space, as I mentioned earlier, pig farmers have been doing this for a long time. We may have used different words. And so you alluded to it, but part of this is about efficiency. How do you utilize less resources going in and maximize your outputs, but still leave the landscape or the operating unit in a way that future generations can manage? The amount of pork that one sow produces in this country today compared to the 1960s is a gigantic leap. So we're producing more pounds of pork in this country with fewer sows and fewer inputs than we ever have. And an example would be is that we've reduced our inputs of use of land mass per pound of pork produced by 70 plus percent. That's exciting. And we can unpack more how we did that. But that really is in the face of efficiency. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that part of sustainability, regenerative, circular economy. Use the phrases you'd like. It's all about effectiveness and efficiency at a farm level. Inputs relative to the amount of outputs you put out there while still protecting the landscape.
0: And I guess animal welfare must be a key point of concern as well in in such circumstances. If you're producing pigs that are generating more pork, I guess at the same time, there needs to be a real close awareness of the need for a strong animal welfare approach.
1: It is fundamental to what we do every day. We in the U.S. pork industry have what we call the We Care Six Ethical Principles. And I think of those as the values of the American pig farmer. And one of those ethical principles is animal welfare. To take folks back in history and time a little bit. I remember growing up on the farm and my grandfather and my father would always say, I grew up on a diversified farm. If you take care of the sows, the sows will take care of you. If you take care of the cows, the cows will take care of you. And as an eight-year-old farmer, I didn't quite get that at the time, Ian, but we know that ultimate care, respect, and taking care of those animals to the best of our ability, one, it's the right thing to do and we're committed to it. But secondly, if you don't do it, You're not as efficient, you're not as effective, and you're not as sustainable. And so animal welfare is one of those core pillars that we continuously monitor every day and figure out how can we do it better? Because nobody has this all figured out yet.
0: What are the specific major sustainability challenges for the pork sector, do you think?
1: One of the challenges we have, but it's also an opportunity, is if you want to dig into the topic of greenhouse gas emissions. And part of the big component of greenhouse gas emissions for a pound of pork produced in this country is the feed stuff in which the pig eats. And so a pig's diet is made up of a lot of things, balanced nutritional diet, but it's really made up of two major components, and that's corn and soybeans. That's the two main ingredients in a swine's diet. And so if that is a big impact of GHG emissions from a pig, but we're pig farmers. How do you also indirectly impact the row crop production side of our business? I see that as a challenge, but as I think of it, I see it as an opportunity. And what that means is it can be a collaborative nature across multiple farmers to help continue to improve practices across a great landmass in what is known as the United States. The example I'd give you, Ian, is in 2018, I was challenged in leading an initiative by three CEOs of three major checkoff organizations. And I give total credit to Bill, even at the National Pork Board. I give credit to Chris Novak at the time at the National Corn Growers Association and Polly Ruland, who is the CEO of the United Soybean Board. And they came together and they said, sustainability impacts all of us. Even though we raise soybeans and you raise corn and we raise pigs, it impacts all of our farmers. And how do we work collectively together on behalf of the American farmer to solve some of those challenges that face us in the greenhouse gas emissions? And so in 2018, we signed a memorandum of understanding that those three organizations would work together. And that put us on a rocket ship for research and education and farmer training across the country. It's a good show of a challenge ahead of us because we raise pigs, maybe not necessarily the grain, but we are working with those folks collaboratively to find solutions to some of the challenges that exist.
0: And what other challenges do you see in the sector?
1: I think water will continue to be a challenge. A little history about my background. I actually grew up in Colorado. And so I did not move to Iowa where we live now. And we grew up farming in Colorado. And I lived in eastern Colorado. And if anybody's been to Colorado, I know you've got an international audience. Some people think of just Colorado as one big state of mountains. Half of that is true. The other half has high mountain deserts, prairie, and flatlands, and limited rainfall. And so that's where I grew up farming, where water quantity was an issue. And so if water quantity is an issue, how do you best effectively and efficiently use water, whether you're growing a crop, cattle, or pigs, to make sure that we are keeping our aquifers in place and make sure that we're protecting our reservoirs and our rivers? That's on the quantity side. Now, I'll take you to a tangible example of moving to Iowa five years ago and relocating our farm. I couldn't believe that they didn't have pivots. They didn't have sprinkler systems. It comes from the clouds. Plenty of rainfall in the Midwest. There's a reason why we raise a lot of the grain crops in the Midwest. Now it's not as much as a quantity issue as it's a water quality issue. How do we continue to farm the ground appropriately to keep the soil in place and the nutrients in place where they need to be as opposed to letting that high quality topsoil potentially run off into our waterways, both rivers and streams, that has an impact into our oceans and some of our major riverways. I think water quantity availability to raise livestock and quality will continue to be of utmost importance.
0: How far is the movement towards regenerative agriculture? How much is that resonating within the pork sector at the moment?
1: Yeah, Ian, I'm glad you bring it up because I use that word a lot, that regenerative agriculture word a lot. And in all transparency, Sometimes our farmers look at me and say, Brett, can you help me understand what that means? Can you define that? As someone that works in sustainability, help me understand that. And I'll be very honest with you. It's easy to say. I think it's harder to define and actually break down exactly what that means. And there may be some experts listening that I would enjoy them to call me and coach me up. But it's catching on in the fact, Ian, that some of our farmers say, well, that's some of what we already do. And I'll give you an example. Two of the major crops in Iowa are soybean and, and corn. So we start with this beautiful black soil. We plant those row crops. We grow them. We harvest the grain. We take that grain from those row crops and use it for multitude of things. But a lot of that goes into feedstuffs for protein or for animals, poultry, and cattle, and pigs. We feed that row crop to protein that really is a high-value, nutritious profile for consumers across the world. But while we're doing that, those animals are also producing manure. And we take the manure from the poultry industry, from the dairy industry, the beef cattle industry, the pig business, and we apply those nutrients back in that black soil in the fall. But what do we do in the spring? We put that seed back in that seed bed and we start the process again. So farmers are talking about, well, Brett, we've been doing this regenerative agriculture thing for a long time and doing it well. But now they're even expanding their eyes and and their ears and saying, this all begins with soil health. Healthy soils create regenerative agriculture. So Ian, that takes us into the conversation then of cover crops, no-till, strip-till, right? Those soil conservation, healthy soils are the key to success here that let us have some management conversations on what they're doing on their farm extremely well, and let's celebrate that but also an opportunity of tweaking it a little bit to continuously improve. So that's how the conversations go as I'm producer facing the majority of my day.
0: It's funny, talking to farmers and farming groups in different sectors around the world, so many of these regenerative practices that are becoming so much the fore, so many farmers say, well, again, we know this, we've been doing this, we wanted to do this, and, and this is exactly the sort of thing that we've known is the right way to go. And it's like everyone else is catching up with their knowledge now, which is really interesting to see. Inevitably, when you're looking at developing a more sustainable approach, there are going to be goals that you need to set and ways that help you measure progress. How is this the pork sector in the U.S. then setting goals, and what are the aspects that are being measured to help define progress?
1: Yes, goal setting is an interesting exercise, and I was fortunate enough to be able to lead this initiative several years ago on behalf of the U.S. pork industry, and I was honored to do it. What's important for people to understand is setting goals in a consumer packaged good company is much different than setting goals in a farming community. And let me start there. If I'm a PepsiCo or a Unilever or a Nestle, I'm managing my supply chain. I'm managing leaders. I'm I'm managing shareholders. And we can come around the table and kind of start to think about what should our goals be. Let me be clear. The National Pork Board is never in their mission to tell farmers what to do. Part of our role as National Pork Board is to convene producers, pig farmers specifically, and catalyze a thought and scale it. That's what we do here. But we can't mandate, we can't tell, we can't require. So what I did on that journey is I did exactly that. I convened thought leaders from inside the pig industry, outside non-government organizations, and a multitude of broad supply chain partners. And we sat in the room and said, we know we need to set goals for the U.S. pork industry. Let's start figuring that out. And so we started putting things on the whiteboard and we worked 18 months at trying to develop this. So the framework that the U S pork industry has built was built by farmers and other partners voluntarily. We're measuring things such as greenhouse gas emissions. We're measuring things such as water efficiency. We're measuring things such as what I think is very, very critical, community giving. You know, how do these pig farms and pig farmers impact their communities and both urban areas and rural areas? And we're measuring water quality. What I love that I'm seeing on some of the data that we're collecting on farm today is because of the work that farmers are doing in their pig barns and also working with either land they own where they grow crops or their crop growing partners, we have data that suggests on multitude of farms in the United States that pig farmers are actually capturing more carbon than they are emitting. And that stuff gets exciting because the goals are one thing, and you got to have a goal to shoot for. What's more exciting to me is to be able to measure, monitor, and report the success towards those goals or the gaps that we have identified we still need to work on.
0: What sort of stretching goals are you setting then? What baselines are you set? What are the goals that you're striving for?
1: The pork industry has done several lifecycle assessments over the years, and so that's what we use as our baseline. The baseline, to answer the baseline question, Ian, we're starting with our 2015 LCA that we did. So, okay, here's where we're at today. How do we start here and where are we headed? One of the goals I would give you that was the biggest, boldest, hardest goal to work through, whether it was with a farmer or a supply chain partner or a non-government organization, was our greenhouse gas emission goal. That was the one that took us the longest and had the greatest debate to land on an outcome. And before I give you the number, I want to give you why I think that was the case. When we started this process a couple of years ago, I thought I knew a lot about greenhouse gas emissions. And I'm a PhD animal scientist. What I realized, Ian, is there's a lot of greenhouse gas emission science we still don't understand. That's Brett's perspective as a scientist, as a farmer, and as a logical thinker. Because the more we dug into the data and the more we were trying to be science-based with our target, the more gaps we identified which I know at times can be frustrating, but it's also pretty exciting to figure out, well, if we don't know this, think of the opportunities ahead of us. So the goal that was set by the pig farming community in the United States was by 2030 to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40% from a 2015 baseline.
0: That's certainly ambitious. It's
1: exciting. And what's fun, there were some folks in that room They were so bold that were farmers that said, I think we can be carbon neutral by 2030. Let's write it down. That's how excited people are about getting into this. You know, the science has to hold true and you have to make sure you do your due diligence, make it realistic, but bold enough to stretch yourself.
0: And I guess the interesting thing is that they recognize the efficiencies here and the benefits long term for their business. That's why they're doing it. I mean, if if it didn't work for the business, they wouldn't be striving for these levels of ambition. What are the sort of tools and guidance that can help then on this sort of journey?
1: Yeah, before we go into the tools, I want to go back to something you said about business, which I'm glad you mentioned that. And let us not ever separate sustainability, regenerative agriculture from business, because doing these things well is a good business practice. I know some may not appreciate the comment I'm about to make, but I think it's important we make it. Fiscal profitability is part of being sustainable. And sometimes I think we worry about talking about it because people say, well, there they go, just talking about making money again, right? I'm being a little facetious here, but I think in people's minds, if we don't put our businesses, pick a business, if we don't put our business in a position to be fiscally sustainable over time while continuously improving our practices and our operations to do the right thing, whether it be for the soil health or animal welfare, we miss. I think the watch out for us as experts in this space there are some examples going on in the world today where they've focused all on a particular trait or attribute or goal, and they're chasing that goal, and they may be making progress towards it, but there's trade-offs. Even. And sometimes they're trading off fiscal responsibility, and the businesses actually then go out of business. To me, that's not sustainable. So thank you for using the word business, and I think we need to keep that in our mind as we talk about the sustainability work going forward. Let's get back to the tools. What tools are we using to measure, monitor, and report our progress? That was another challenge that I had, Ian, to be honest with you. And I hope you get a chuckle out of this, but it's interesting when you have sustainability in your title, which I did you know, prior to taking this new role that there's a lot of people that will ping you on LinkedIn with the greatest new tool to measure your progress towards your goals, okay? And I loved that. But at the same token, you had to really parse out and say, hey, this isn't like we've got a measuring tape where we're saying, okay, this desk is this wide by this long. This stuff's hard. We have worked with a company called Sustainable Environmental Consultants. Sustainable Environmental Consultants. They happen to be based out of West Des Moines, Iowa. They are using tools actually put together, designed, and scientifically based with the United States Department of Agriculture to measure things like erosion rates, things like how much capture of carbon are we utilizing, things like you know the impact of cover crops. We had to find a set of tools that, number one, were science-based, and number two, were easy and practical for farmers to use from a time commitment perspective and understand. We call those our pork care impact reports in which a farmer will get a report for their individual farm or the landmass that they're working with. Because, Ian, with farmers, when you show up at a farm, one of the two comments they always want to talk about when you're trying to talk about a new technology in their barn or a new tractor is, will it make me money? I should say three things. Will it save me money or will it save me time? That's the things that are thinking about, right? And so if I show up and say, I've got this new set of data that I want you to voluntarily put in the system, I want you to fill out all this paperwork, and then I'm gonna get this report spit back to you. It had to be brief and it had to be something they could understand. And so we're using these uh, on-farm impact reports to measure these various variables and put it in, to be honest with you, a two-page format that's heavy on data in sound bites and heavy on images and then if they wanna go deeper and wider, they can. And it has had a huge impact to be able to let farmers understand their strengths, their opportunities for their improvement in their operation and to use with their customers, whether it be their neighbor that's in their community, their banker or lender or people they're selling pork to. Uh, phenomenal stories.
0: And I guess also making the reporting that you're talking about there from the tools, making it relevant so that it's, kind of, it's relevant for that particular farmer, rather than, because everything's different, every farm is unique.
1: Well said. Every operation is different. Every farmer is different. And making it relevant to 60,000 plus big farmers in the United States were important to us, was important to us. So we're excited. It's been a great tool. It's been well received and we continue to scale it. And I can tell you, we take that data and then we aggregate it. And we've used that information with a lot of food service partners and retailers in which it helps them with their customer base as well.
0: One thing that we hear at our Innovation Forum events and when we're speaking with people involved in the food sector around the world is the importance of collaboration. And it seems to be that's an issue that is getting greater and greater resonance. What does best practice collaboration look like in the pork sector?
1: I think the example I gave you earlier of the work with the Corn Growers Association, the Soybean Board and National Pork Board is a great example of collaboration. But I'm going to take it a step further. And a concern I have, Ian, in this space, and I've been to some of the innovation forums, which I love those, by the way. I was one in the D.C. a couple of years ago, but I do worry at times we're doing really great work in this space, but we do it in silos. And at times we do it in such a silo that we won't sit and have a conversation on what the shared values are. And so I'm going to challenge all of us that work in this sustainability space that you can't be experts on an aluminum can and a kernel of corn. I mean, I just don't know people that know how to do sustainability in both of those things. So let's start with what I think collaborative shared value should be. Some folks are opposed to the pork industry. That's just the reality. That's their choice. And I have those conversations on airplanes and in meetings all the time. But here's some things where I think we can land. And it's going to probably sound elementary. It's not intended to do that. But I believe we can all get around clean air. I think we can all agree that we want healthy soils in our world. I think we can all agree that we want an abundance of fresh water that's high in quality. I believe that we can all get around that we want robust, safe, economically viable communities. I think we can all believe and, and agree that we want animals to be cared, of, cared for each and every day, and that we know if they're going to be used for a protein source, that they were cared for from the day that they were put on this earth, you know, to the day that they're going to nourish the world. Great collaboration starts with what are our core values What are our core principles? And then let's figure out how we're going to do it from there. Because relative to water quality, if we agree that we want water quality and a robust amount of it, if I'm running a uranium mine versus a pig farm, the challenges are different. But the mission's the same. We want to protect water quality. And so let's start with that. And at times, I think, Ian, we let our businesses or our silos or sorry to say it, our agendas get in the way of what are we trying to really solve for? As fundamental as that may sound, I think that's really what we're trying to fundamentally solve for. And that I hope multiple generations of business owners and family people have the opportunity to do what they get to do today, because we did the right things. And then from there of collaboration, I always said good collaboration is not everybody gets what they wanted. There's going to be some give and take. And when both parties leave and say, we collaborated, we didn't get exactly what we wanted but I feel very comfortable. I think that's collaboration. The soybean board, the corn growers example, the pig farmer example I gave you, we're partnered with Nestle, one of the largest, if not largest CPG companies in the world, and working with them. And there's give and take there. I don't know. I get excited about that work because, Ian, I think the challenges are so great. If we don't take that mentality going into the room, we're not going to win.
0: I think you're absolutely right. The good collaboration is a little like any negotiation. Everyone leaves feeling a little bit disappointed. But then if everyone's a little bit disappointed, it means that they can have the best compromises has been reached. In conclusion, then, what do you think is the best evidence in terms of action taken that demonstrates the pork sector is really taking its sustainability responsibility seriously? We've talked about a lot, of them, but what are the key points, do you think?
1: I think the key points are, where do you spend your money? And I'm going to talk about the National Pork board for a minute. Okay, where do you spend your money? In the National Pork Board Organization today, sustainability is a priority for us, and it is shown by the way we are using our farmers' money to deploy against sustainability. Put your money where your mouth is, and so they're doing that. And we're led by a farmer-led board, and our farmers have said sustainability is important to us, it's a priority, you will spend money there effectively and efficiently to do what we need to do. So that's example one. Example two is our farmers set goals. They said, we're going here. We have decided we need to do something, and we're going to do it, and we're headed that way. And National Pork Board, U.S. staff that work for us as farmers, help us get there and challenge us to get better. So goal setting. And I'd say the third thing is now the data is coming in voluntarily, Ian, from the farmers, voluntarily demonstrating their progress towards the goals. The money's there to say we're committed to getting better and playing in this space by the farmers. The farmers set the goals that say we're committed to doing better, and here's what that means in writing. And three, now they're actually voluntarily putting their data into a system that demonstrates that progress. And to me, that really shows the pathway for the U.S. American pig farmer that sustainability is not just a word. It's a journey without a destination.
0: What progress do you expect to see over the rest of this decade then?
1: Yeah, I think you will see us produce more pounds of pork over the next decade with with fewer inputs. And you pick your input, landmass, water any of those variables, we will produce more pounds of pork with fewer numbers of pigs using fewer inputs. And I do think you will also see over the next decade, soil health improve in this country and practices put on large landscapes of acres to do that. And so this idea of farming differently, continuously improving our farming methodologies, whether it be cover crop, strip till, no till, the utilization of manure and less utilization of commercial fertilizers, those practices and those things will continue to ramp up over the next decade and it'll make us all better.
0: It's sure going to be fascinating to follow the progress and I look forward to doing so. But for now, Brett Kaysen from the National Port Board, thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you so much. It's been fun.
0: The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the usual analysis and interviews. Look out for a new briefing from my colleague B. Stevenson on how business can switch to a reuse and refill model for packaging. We'll be back with a Monday briefing next week. And the podcast as usual. But that's it for now. I'm Ian Welsh and until next time, goodbye.